Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome, true believers, and thank you for joining us on this journey into mystery known as the Second Print Comics Podcast. I'm your host today, Mark Clare, and I am joined by my co-host, Remsa W. Martinez. Remsa, what's up? <laughs> it's another day in Corona paradise. Have not left my house in days, only getting slightly filled of, you know, Jack Nicholson fits of rage because all work and no play makes Remso a dull boy. But hey, times like this prevent me from going absolutely insane. That, so can't complain. That's basically why we started this podcast. We were in the pandemic. We were looking for things to do. We were starting to lose our minds and we knew we had a couple options. We could either put our energy into something productive, into something fun, or we could completely lose our minds and probably end up on the news in a negative way. I I had some moments where I'm like, you know, right now is a good time to like fly to like America, Samoa, the Philippines or something and get into what I consider legalized crime to certain degrees, nonprofits by donating my money, my money to like schools, orphanages and creating like a child army because of the way things are going right now. Those are all within the realm of possibility. But this is probably a much better, safer, and more logical option. We'll start with the comics podcast, and then we'll see where we go from there. (laughs) You never know where life's going to take you. But this is the technically the inaugural edition, the very first episode of the Second Print Comics podcast. And uh, we can explain a little bit about what we're planning to do here. But we already did that in something called Episode Zero, our Secret Origins episode. So if you have not heard that yet... Yes, if you have not heard that yet, I encourage you, wherever you're listening, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, just tick back. It should be the last episode in your podcast feed before this one, Episode Zero, Secret Origins, where you'll learn all about uh, Remzo and I's history with comic books, why we're so passionate about the medium, why we decided to start this show, and uh, why we're going to be sort of exchanging producer duties by bringing up not just uh, comic book storylines, sometimes characters, events, movies, uh, specific issues specific runs, whatever it may be, 
We're going to bring that up, something important to us, and we're going to kind of bounce it off each other because as we describe in episode zero, Remzo and I are from slightly different comic book generations. I started reading comics uh, when Remzo was still uh, a swimmer, as you say. So uh, I wasn't even born. He was still just swimming around. <laughs> he wasn't even a glimmer yet. Uh, but it's not a sparkle in my father's exactly. eye. But today we're going to start with I was really struggling with where to start because so many different comics influenced me, especially in the early 90s uh, when I started getting into things. And I can't say that the book I decide I chose on is necessarily the storyline itself is not necessarily like the most historic storyline or the storyline that affected me the most or, or anything like that. But it does represent, I think, sort of the, the birth of my comics fandom. And it really represents what was going on at the time and a lot of what we would later see in the 90s in so many ways. And so what I decided to present was the initial volume of the second X-Men book known simply as X-Men called X-Men Volume 2, released in 1991 as the X-Men were just exploding in popularity. Uh, this is shortly before the animated series started. I do believe this series... It's about a year before that. Right. So I, I do believe this yeah. series in many ways launched the animated series or it was definitely in development at the same time because a lot of the characters that you're going to see uh, in this book in in this initial X-Men run are characters that weren't necessarily all of the classic X-Men characters. A lot of them to me, I don't know if they were created specifically, you know, with the idea of of an animated series, but a lot of these became the the characters that were more popular in the animated series itself, whether it's Gambit, Rogue, Jubilee, uh, obviously Wolverine's been around forever, but those are the characters that really uh, connected with me in the animated series, and you're going to see a lot of those same characters in this X-Men run here. But just to give a little bit of background, of course, the X-Men um, started in the 60s, and uh, one of their classic writers was Chris, Chris Claremont, and uh, he wrote the X-Men for years and years and years and years and years. And uh, he did he did Dark Phoenix, he did right? The, the, right. The he did the Dark Phoenix saga. saga. I mean, just yeah. any classic X-Men story you can think of, uh, he probably had his fingerprints on it in one way or another. Uh, and then in the early 90s, due to the explosion of the X-Men's popularity, they decided to launch this second X-Men book. And um, this X-Men book was going to be helmed by Chris Claremont himself. So that was a big deal, uh, bringing over the classic X-Men writer, as well as, I don't I don't know if you can call him an up-and-comer at that point. He was already pretty huge. Uh, he had already been uh, drawing the Uncanny X-Men for a while. That is, of course, Jim Lee, who is... To many, maybe one of the greatest comic artists, at least of the of the modern age. He's definitely one of the most well-known. Uh, we'll talk a lot about the history of Jim Lee, I think, uh, in many different podcasts down the road. We're going to be doing a full breakdown of Image, uh, of probably, we'll probably end up discussing him rejoining with DC, which is also a big move. I mean, I mean Jim Lee has been involved in a lot of stuff, a lot of controversy in comic books. But before any of that, he was just an awesome artist, a very, very popular artist uh, at a time when art was really what was dr the driving force behind comics. I mean, the popularity of comics, I think, in the late 80s and early 90s, at least when it comes to Marvel, was not as much based around specific storylines to me as it was based around uh, the art. It's based around artists becoming big, becoming yeah. big names. You know, artists like Jim Lee, artists like Todd McFarlane, who became, become McFarlane, who became, is it McFarlane or McFarlane? I always mess it up. I, I've <laughs> always kind of jumped around with that. That's why I just call him the Todd Father. Todd Father, all right. 
That's right. But uh, but I mean, you know, just touching on Jim Lee for a second, he is one of the very few artists within the comic book industry where when you look at where he started to where he is now, you could almost say they're almost two different people drawing them. If I showed you one from, you know, this this X-Men volume to him drawing Batman Hush, which is one of my favorite Batman stories of all time, you'd think that they're different. But when you get to really see it over the last, you know, three decades worth, it he was always good. But he has just grown in his skill and his ability to really become what I think is the best case study and the evolution of a comic book artist we've seen ever. Yeah, the main difference between not not his style wise uh, is back then Jim Lee could pump out you know at least a comic a month. Now it takes him about six months to do about three pages. So it's a very special event when, when we get Jim Lee art nowadays. But I, I do I do agree his art has become. He was like an excellent 90s style comic book artist, and he really did evolve with the times. Uh, I think his his attention to detail, the way he draws, uh, you know, physical specimens, they always look very super heroic and amazing, but somehow sort of realistic too. A lot of times you see superheroes that look, you know, their, their muscles are huge. They look like real heroes, but you, you can't really even buy them living in a, in a real universe at all. Jim Lee has this knack of having amazing art, but you can still kind of incorporate it as, as looking realistic in terms of the scale, uh, the body parts and that sort of thing. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, as a, as a Rob Liefeld fan, I, I love his stuff because it's just so uniquely him. But I remember showing uh, showing one of my parents like Liefeld's run on like Captain America Rebirth. And, you know, we all kind of remember that infamous Captain America portrait where he's just got like this barrel sized chest and a small head and his arms are like freaking tree trunks. And it's almost I think they described it as vulgar. It was almost too much. But that was really the taste of the 90s. So here you have Jim Lee. He's trying to really catch up with what the fans want. They really want that, that gaudy violence and destruction. And, you know, women have, you know, just crazy proportions and everything else, but he did it in a way, which when you look back at it, you're like, I could read that in a comic book now. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, at this time, Jim Lee is very popular. Uh, the X-Men are very popular. So they decide to put everything behind this big push uh, with X-Men, what they're calling just X-Men Volume Volume 2, known as X-Men, while the other, the original X-Men title just remained Uncanny X-Men, which had been called for years, I think, since like 1981 or something like that. Um, let's see. So this particular storyline, this is actually two stories in one that they, they combine into one big trade paperback. Uh, but just a little background on this itself. To this day, X-Men number one, and and in this in many ways, this started, you know, many people blame the craze around image for the eventual comic books bubble and the comics books crash. You can look back further to stuff like this, uh, the, the speculative bubble, to stuff like this, the death of Superman, because this was the, the highest selling comic of all time. It still is the highest selling comic book of all time, X-Men volume two, number one. Um a big reason for that is, yes, of course, it was popular. They had Jim Lee. The X-Men were huge. Another reason is they had, I believe, four variant covers. And the covers are awesome. Now, unfortunately, I'm in Mexico here. I don't have my physical copies with me. But I do have uh, this little, well, for people that see us on video, maybe I'll post that on Patreon. Heresy. Absolute yeah. heresy. <laughs> I know. I, I am a heretic. We will have an entire debate about digital versus <laughs> But at this moment in time, I am limited to, to the digital. But, I mean, all four of these covers... They're, real, they're really amazing. The last one has mag, just Magneto, but when you 
see them all together, I think there's a fold-out that actually came with the comic book themselves. But the idea, of course, is Marvel wants you to buy all four covers, because this, this is the new big X-Men book. Uh, this is going to be historic, and you want to have all four covers to complete your set. So I think that was a big driver behind these sales. Of course, the popularity of the X-Men was a huge driver anyway. But between this this fancy cover that really is amazing when you, when you put it all together, um, between that and the popularity of the X-Men having Jim Lee, it was really just the perfect mix to make this the number one selling comic book of all time. And that that number has not been surpassed to this date. No. And I mean, I know people who were buying stacks upon stacks of those in 91 because, I mean, to, to kind of back it up a little bit more, this is also when the age of the comic book stores are coming alive, when you have stores just entirely dedicated to comic books. And with these covers, um, you know, it, it really did freak people out in a positive way. But as you mentioned, this is going to have problems later on. I know a lot of people that were buying it because of the speculation market. We're going to see the same thing for Death of Superman. They're all going to buy. And I'm one of them. I still have the originals of these at home. Oh my so. gosh! I bought so I bought my issue one of this series in 2007 when I was getting really serious about actually collecting, and I've got the, I, I've got the Cyclops and Wolverine cover. So that's the one I have. I think it was cover A. And I remember I bought this at a thrift store at uh, Andrews Air Force Base, and they had a whole bunch of those. So what did I do not knowing any better? I bought seven copies of the same cover because they were only a dollar <laughs> each. And I'm like, this is insane. It's issue one of X-Men and you're just selling them all for a dollar. What the hell? This guy has no idea what he's doing. What kind of gold he's later did I know it was basically like the Weimar Republic dollar at that point. They just printed so many of these and now you could find them really anywhere. I know people who will, I know comic book stores where they will try and give those out for free if you want one of those right. copies, but it was, it was insane. I don't think we've, ever seen anything like that since the problem with comic book collecting and and tying it into speculation is that once there's the speculation on a new book on a book that hasn't come out yet everyone rushes to buy it and that kind of reduces the entire point uh, of like holding something for value because when they print a bunch there's a bunch of pre-orders everyone gets it well it's not rare so there's there's no value tied to it now the first appearance of spider-man uh um, amazing fantasy number 15 amazing fantasy 15 okay okay amazing fantasy number 15 that was nobody had heard of Spider-Man yet. Amazing Fantasy was not like some huge selling book. That, that was the last issue of that series. They canceled it after that. Right, right. So this is not anything anybody had an eye on. Nobody knew Spider-Man would be, become this iconic hero. So to find a copy of that today, not only to find a copy, but to find one that somehow remained in good condition, because this is also before people saw comics as collectibles, saw comics as something to keep in pristine condition. So if you can actually find Amazing Fantasy 15 in pristine condition, now that is rare. It's not rare to find X-Men number one uh, or 10 versions of it at a, at a flea market in rare condition. So, I mean, it really speaks to just what speculation is. Once you're actually speculating on a comic that's about to come out, you can almost guarantee that that speculation is not going to pay off down the road other than just being a fan. And if you want to own the comic for your own memory, like I'm glad I own this comic, but I have no uh, illusions that I'm, I'm going to get rich from it. Yeah. I mean, there was no part and I'm not really one of those fans right now where I have to go out and collect all the variants. I know people that do that. They probably got more disposable income from me, but what I'll do is I will buy the cover I like most. So I have plenty of variant covers, but I will only have that cover of that issue. And what, what we're seeing right now with, uh, with, 
publishers starting to really kick back in the gear with um, Marvel really, you know, trying to back up Diamond and DC breaking up with the different publishers is now everyone's trying to get back to what is a normal printing schedule. And one of the issues we're having right now, which I, I won't get too much into, is the fact that uh, DC Comics has been really pushing a new character called Sucker Punch. They were promoting all of her appearances. She's supposed to be the Joker's new girlfriend, new henchman. And to a certain degree, I almost feel like it's kind of cheapened because it's not how it's supposed to be. When the publishers are telling me who to get excited for, I'm almost taken back a little bit because I feel like they just really want me to spend a lot of money and time on something that won't really pan out for better things later. I could be completely wrong, but... Because of stuff like this and knowing about this type of stuff, I'm very hesitant to really want to jump into the things the publishers want me to get, quote, excited about. Right. And this topic of speculation will come up. It will be a theme that will be reoccurring on this podcast, especially because, at least when it comes to my most of my suggestions, most of my produced episodes, we're going to be looking at a lot of stuff from the 90s. And uh, whether it's uh, Maximum Carnage or the Clone Saga or Death of Superman or Nightfall or um, the, the creation of Image Comics... All of those events uh, just added fuel to the fire of the speculation industry and eventually to the downfall of the comic book industry in the late 90s. But that's a whole other tale that we will break down in further detail one day down the road. But for now, I think we are ready to dive in to X-Men Mutant Genesis. I will just start going through these episodes. Uh, episodes. <laughs> these are episodes that we're recording. <laughs> Is- issues are what we're reading. I'm already going to... Yeah, they know what we mean. Uh, they know what you mean. Yeah. Before I actually get into this, I want to just mention a couple ways that people can read along with us at home. Like, if you haven't read these books and you want to read them before uh, you actually listen to us, you could just pause right now if you want. I'll even give you, leave you a second. Pause. Actually, you're going to want to... It's gone. Find, now it's back. Find the issues. <laughs> there are a number of ways right now. We live in a, in a wonderful world. Obviously, it's wonderful if you can find the physical copies. That's nice. That's lovely. That feels good. You can smell the pages, whatever. And as, as ter- in terms of this book, we know there's millions and millions of copies out there, so it might not be that hard to find. I actually found a copy of this trade paperback. Uh, like I said, I'm here in Mexico in a supermarket in Cuernavaca, Mexico in, in, in Spanish. There you go. I should have bought it, actually, just for the show, <laughs> but I did not. But I do want to make people aware of some easy ways out there to find comic books often for free. The number one way that I have found comic books to read for free is on Hoopla. If you go to HooplaDigital.com, you download this app. You can download it to your phone, your iPad. You can use it on your computer, whatever. All you need is a library card, and all you need, and it can be completely online. Like in L.A., I got my library card online, and I never needed a physical card. I just got the number. Once you have that number, you go register with Hoopla, and you get access to so much comic books. It is insane. Uh, almost everything I've read, a lot of it I already owned on Comixology or, or in something somewhere else, but uh, almost everything I've read, or because I'm also doing research for you and trying to send you links to you know the stuff that I'm bringing up, I can find almost everything on Hoopla. So that is my number one resource. It's completely free. Uh, another one, if you're an Amazon Prime member, Kindle has a lot of free comic books through Kindle. So if you want to search on your Kindle, uh, the X-Men Mutant Genesis that I have here on my Kindle is actually through Kindle, through Amazon Prime. So that's another free method. Uh, slightly more than th- than free methods that will have a lot of these books are, of course, Marvel Unlimited, which I think is like 10 bucks a month. But if you get it for a year, what is it, like 70 bucks a month? It, it's bucks incredibly like cheap. If you just go for the year membership, because you're going to end up reading way more than what you would otherwise because you're putting the Easy, money into right? that. But yeah, I mean, when you when you told me about Hoopla, I thought it was too good to be true. Folks, it's too true to be good at this point. It is awesome. Right. 
Yeah, and we get no money from this. Hoopla doesn't even get money from this. I don't even know how it works, but it's awesome. So I, I think uh, we're inclined to share it with people. Uh, but yeah, as far as paid services go, there's also Marvel Unlimited, uh, DC Universe, which I know I think you are on DC Universe. I've never I tried it for like a week for a free I, trial and just wasn't. Yeah, that I mean, if if you wanted to get into it for like the movies and the TV shows and stuff, it's still nice. They've got. Uh, Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn and Titans, some of the original series, but those are all moving over to HBO Max. So if you want to read a ton of DC comics, they're, and this is a subtle criticism, they're a bit more limited, but they've got a good comic selection. If you're wanting to really see the shows and stuff, I would say just wait and maybe just get HBO Max because I think very soon all the new seasons are just going to be moved there anyway. So if you really want the comics, you're getting a good deal of that. It's almost on par with uh, Marvel Unlimited, but if you're if you're like, oh well, I want the shows as well, I'd probably say go get a Comixology or go get Hoopla, and then just jump on HBO Max. You're gonna get more bang for your buck that way. Yeah, and one thing I want to mention with Comixology, they also have a Comixology Unlimited. Um, not every single title is on there, but a lot of stuff is on there. I think that's five ninety nine a month, which is pretty affordable um, considering the amount of content they have. They have a bunch of Marvel, DC, Image, I mean, all sorts of stuff. But right now, I'm looking right now, if you sign in with your Amazon account and you haven't had the free trial, you get it for 60 days. 60 days. Really good deal. See, folks, we're hooking you up. Exactly. You just can't beat that. These are all ways you can find comics without getting us a dime. But if you do want to send us a dime, I, I don't want to fail to mention, we do have a Patreon. Some of you are hearing this right now on Patreon before the rest of the world because we did something a little unique. We, we gathered some fans uh, before the official launch, and we launched the show first on Patreon, first behind the paywall. We had episode zero up there, episode one and two up there. Those episodes were all up there before you're listening right now, unless you're one of those patrons and you're just listening again on the main feed, which means you're awesome. Um, but while you're here, while you're listening to us, if you enjoy what we're doing, or maybe you want to wait to the end of the show to make sure you enjoy what we're doing. But if, you're, if you've listened to our banter this far, you probably do. The most important thing you can do for us right now is tell people about the show. I mean, that's what we need. We need to build up the buzz, build up the hype. We need the retweets. We need the shares on Facebook. We need those likes on Instagram. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Print Pod and on Instagram at Second Print Pod. And uh, we also, of course, have the Second Print Comics Fan Zone, which is our, our private group on Facebook. We are capping that at 50 members for free because we want to let some people get in early. But once it hits 50, the only people allowed in are going to be our patrons over on Patreon. And we did a whole video breaking down all the different levels on patreon so i'm just gonna refer you to that if you want to learn more about what we're doing on patreon just head over to patreon.com slash second print pod i promise we are going to make it worth your while no matter what the level because we are just putting our hearts and souls into this thing that's the end of my pitches you got anything else to pitch before we dive into this puppy i think we covered everything let's just jump right in so starting off x-men volume one number one i'm just going to kind of go through my basic notes of the story and you know you can chime in whenever you please uh but the story starts out <clears throat> where mutants are hijacking uh, a spacecraft of some kind. Uh, Magneto, Mag- Magneto we've, we see Magneto, he intervenes, and he brings these people all onto Asteroid M. I think both the mutants and the, 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 you know, the spacecraft they were hijacking. These mutants have arrived because they want to pledge their allegiance to Magneto. Uh, a little backstory here. And I don't know the full backstory because I didn't read all these issues. This is just from my research. But for a long time before this storyline, Magneto sort of had a change in his character from obviously when the X-Men first started, he was the number one villain. He was their classic villain. He was, you know, uh, he, he literally named his team the Brotherhood of Evil. Mutants. Right. Not at all hiding, hiding what they are. 
Uh, he was the yang to Professor X's yin, or, or vice versa. I'm not sure which is which. Um, but over the last several years, I think many years really prior to this, Magneto had kind of ridden the line between hero and anti-hero. At one point, he was actually a hero. He was the leader of the New Mutants, uh, leading a, you know, a team of young mutants. Uh, he was aligned with the X-Men. So this part of this storyline is sort of repositioning Magneto as an actual villain, but they they do it in an interesting way. They don't do it in they don't he doesn't just suddenly snap and be evil again. They really put nuance into this character, uh, and that's something that we'll see throughout the story. Uh, yeah, but these guys are led by this guy named Fabian Cortez. Uh, they're welcome welcomed onto Asteroid M. Um, you notice here, like I said, Magne- Magneto is not really being portrayed as a pure villain here. He's not just causing death and destruction. He's sort of just minding his own business when everybody shows up here. He had kind of exiled himself to. Uh, to um, asteroid M, and uh, this all just kind of happened to him. I mean, if this did, if these guys didn't all show up, you know, none of this storyline might have even occurred. Yeah, I mean, I think what people need to remember is that unlike other villains, Magneto's whole gimmick was never "I'm going to just you know take over the world." He's not a Doctor Doom level guy, and this is why Magneto often does not get along with other villains. Usually, when you ever see him do a team up with another villain mainly uh you know a doctor doom or, or a loki or whatever anybody else he usually ends up fighting them at the end because they are much more malicious than him uh i've always seen him as more of like a malcolm x character to professor x's uh martin luther king and with that i mean there there's that subtle degree of nuance that you definitely see because x-men has always been a very cultural and politically minded comic and at this point when he's created asteroid m this new mutant home um he i mean He's really, to, to what I, it is my opinion, I think he's really telling people, listen, we don't have to deal with each other. We don't even have to think about each other or see each other. I'm going into literal freaking space. Right. So if you do anything, it's whatever happens next is completely on you. Yeah, I mean, you. it almost seems like Magneto is the victim here. Like you said, he just was off to be on his own, clear his head, do his own thing. And then all this stuff starts happening to him. The, the, these guys show up. They want to be his acolytes. You know, he's being cool about it. But uh, he's not going on a reign of, of terroristic destruction here. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, this also, of course, uh, attracts the attention of uh, Nick Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D., who are always monitoring the the, uh, the goings-on. Um, so we, we do head over to the X-Mansion, where we get a very classic sort of uh, training montage where the X-Men are all in battle. Um, it seems like there's a big battle going on until, of course, there's the reveal that uh, they were just in... I'm a terrible fan right now. What The Danger Room. Thank you. The, da- the, the they're Danger in the Room. Danger room. They're just doing simulated combat uh, because that's what X-Men do, and that's how you introduce X-Men. And... Uh, I don't know. What do you think about Chris Claremont's dialogue? I think my big criticism of Chris Claremont, like he really goes out of his way to show the characters, to always have them talking, to kind of see their personalities. But it sometimes it feels like a little too much. Like sometimes I just want to see people fighting it out for a couple pages and I don't need to read uh, an entire conversation or a soliloquy they're having at the same time. I, I can certainly tell you the first time I read through this series, the one thing I did not care about was the dialogue yeah, at all. And, uh, you know, to a certain degree, it's like you don't really need it to see what's going on. Jim Lee is really a, a show don't tell type of guy. So I think Claremont, because he had come from an age where you've really got to double down on telling people what's happening. You're seeing really kind of like a combination of two eras of writers. You're getting Claremont, who's really a Bronze Age type yeah. of guy. Uh, you know, his Dark Phoenix saga is very wordy, extremely wordy. And if you don't read those, you know, word bubbles and thought bu- balloons, you're going to get lost. 
the artwork was amazing during that series, but it's really Claremont pulling the reader. Whereas if Jim Lee and Claremont, I'm not going to say it's an awkward dance, but you could definitely see where both their strengths sometimes collapse with each other. For sure. It's it's kind of like, it's, it's Bronze Age writing with modern, I don't know what you call the 90s, modern age art. You know, Jim, Jim Lee is... Modern, yeah. Um, anyhow, we head to the X-Mansion and we learn, well, I'm not sure, we may have learned this in the Uncanny X-Men comics, but at this point, the X-Men, because of all these new characters, have, uh, well, that, that's the, uh, the, the kayfabe, the real life reason, because of all these new characters, they split it into two books, uh, but uh, I'm not really sure. Sh- it's all about those dollar exactly. dollar bills. I'm not sure if they ever really went into a real deep explanation about why they had to split into two teams. They just kind of did. Like, there was, uh, you know, so they go to the X-Mansion, and then we hear that Magneto has returned to Earth and is using his powers to raise this Russian submarine called the Leningrad, uh, which I guess he he actually had sunk many, many years ago, like way back in X-Men lore. And he did this to take the nuclear missiles from them and to he- keep them as a deterrent against humanity. Because he knows that, you know, after what happened on Asteroid M, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. or whoever is looking out for him. So he just wants to have this again for defensive reasons, it appears. <laughs> uh, he just wants to keep himself safe, keep his new mutant, mutant acolytes safe, who have sort of uh, pledged their allegiance to them. Um, so that's where we're at with Magneto. So so, uh, Professor X decides to send the blue team, which to me, we're basically set into two teams here. The blue team to me is more of like the cool team. That's what, that's what it seems like. Uh, cause you have Cyclops, you have Beast, you have Rogue, Gambit, Psylocke, all of whom are relatively new characters in the, in the grand scheme of things. They're not the classic X-Men characters. And of course, Wolverine, who's the most badass character of all time. So to me, people were buying that just because of sure. Wolverine. I, mean, I think that's why Wolverine is in this book. I mean, you couldn't launch a new X-Men book without centering it around Wolverine. And in many ways you'll see, as we'll see with the, the next storyline, as we continue here, uh, they really do center a lot of the goings on around Wolverine. No coincidence. He's the most popular character. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, so to me, this team, that yeah. theoretically, I mean, you see all the characters at some point, but this X-Men book is supposed to be centered around the blue team of Cyclops, Beast, Rogue, Gambit, Psylocke, and Wolverine, while the gold team eh, is kind of the boring team. You got Storm. Storm's probably the coolest one on the gold team. Archangel, Jean Grey. Weird that they split up Cyclops and Jean Grey. I thought that was interesting, uh, along with Iceman and Colossus. Uh, meanwhile, Forge and Banshee are both kind of like they're part of the technical team at the mansion and Maura McTaggart, who uh, in this version of the storyline 30 years earlier is not a mutant. She's just uh, Charles Xavier's uh, regular human girlfriend. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read Jonathan Hickman's X-Men yet. Uh, she's kind of just like the medical staff. So that's the current state of the X-Men. Uh, what do you do, what do you just yeah. feel about the breakdown of these lineups for now? It definitely, as you mentioned, this is about trying to really milk it for money at this point. This had been done probably a a decade and a half earlier with uh, Avengers and the West Coast Avengers, where basically, you know, they've really got to double down on what's selling for them. Avengers is doing really good. And Hawkeye is a character who wasn't always that popular, but he's strong enough that he shouldn't be in his own solo comic, but he could definitely work with the Avengers. So they split it into two. And what we're dealing with right now at this point in the 90s is who who are the popular people? You've got Lobo over at DC. You've got um, a lot more anti-heroes with Liefeld's Cable and Deadpool who had been premiered a few years earlier than this and you know with wolverine he everywhere he is that stuff is selling and you know it's almost funny to think about it but 
I mean, around this period, Spider-Man is not a best-selling comic. He won't be best-selling until really the rise of Venom, and that's really when uh, McFarlane's jumping in with just his you know, single titled Spider-Man. Then you have like Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. So it was after anything popular, they're doubling and tripling and quadrupling down. Yeah. And, and you know, it's also kind of funny around this time over at DC, Batman's not selling right. well and Superman's not selling well. So Marvel is really happy that, you know, we've got this team of heroes that's always done well. It's doing better because of characters like Wolverine. We can totally split it up and we'll be able to make all the X-Men character, all the X-Men fans happy because all these titles are going to bounce off each other. So you're going to need both to understand what's going on to begin with. Exactly. And, and as we'll see later on in these storylines, it sometimes gets confusing and sometimes it's like, shit, do I need to go read these other books to understand what's going on here? And I, I think that's somewhat part of the strategy. They want you to feel like you have to read all of these books uh, because they just, they're just trying to drive sales and they know how much popularity there is behind the X-Men. Meanwhile, Batman's floundering, Superman's floundering. This would of course lead to DC to take some actions, which again, teaser, we will be discussing in future episodes of this program. Uh, but for now, uh, back to issue one, just to wrap things up, they get word that Magneto has arrived and is raising this ship uh, along with his new acolytes. So they send the blue team, which, of course, is the cool team, and that's the team this book is about. Uh, during the battle, Wolverine manages to injure Magneto, uh, and Rogue is also shot down by a Russian plane because, of course, the Russians are there because you know there's their nuclear sub that's being raised. Um, she coincidentally, I guess, when she gets hit by this plane, because, uh, of course, Rogue has superpowers. To give the real backstory, Rogue actually has the powers, I believe, of Captain Marvel, because her 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 mutant power is to touch other people and to take their power from them, and she did this with Captain Marvel at some point, and basically gained all her. Whoa, whoa! The, the the kids the kids these days call her Captain Marvel. For the true believers, she will always be Miss Marvel. Marvel. Okay, Miss Marvel at the time. <laughs> I was trying to be super feminist and let her be a captain already, but at the time, I guess she was. Miss I'll, I'll be. I'll be. I'll. I'll take the arrows. I'll take the slings and arrows. Um, and then back on Genosha, uh, I guess the acolytes of Magneto were in the neighborhood, so they're there. They meet up with her there. Uh, they uh, they ask her to join. She refuses, and then Magneto arrives, and he just declares that Asteroid M is a haven for all of mutant kind. That's why he's taking these missiles up, and uh, he's going to go bring his acolytes and anybody who wants to join him it's welcome to come on up so uh, what do you think of again of the portrayal of what magneto is doing here he has not really aggressively attacked anyone he did take a defense uh, he did take the submarine uh but no one he didn't hurt anybody by doing that uh, there's already a bunch of dead bodies on there he originally did commit the crime of, of sinking that submarine many years ago but hey that's back in the past but um so far again he's not being portrayed as this evil maniacal take over the world destroy all humanity kind of kind of villain I think this is really good storytelling on Claremont's ends because he understands that, you know, classic tried and true Stanley mindset. Every comic is somebody's first comic. So he understands, of course, you know, you've got the legions of fans that have been reading this for years on years on years, but this is also going to be a really good opportunity to bring in new people. So when you do this, you know, some, some fans might say, you know, Magneto's regressing a little bit, or he seems out of character from the last time they read him or saw him, but this is really good because you're getting really a fresh take with Magneto. You could read none of the X-Men series before this, none of the titles, nothing. And you will know enough about Magneto where if you're going to hang on with it, you'll see his progression really pay off from really this sympathetic rogue 
to really becoming the villain that is threatening the world, basically. Right. And I, and I like that they never portray Magne- Magneto as this straightforward villain, especially this is great for both new and old fans. It's sort of a reintroduction to getting closer exactly. to, to the classic character, but doing so in a natural way, not just flipping a switch and saying, now I'm evil. And then it's a great introduction to the nuances of the character uh, for newer fans that are just getting getting into these books for the first time. Uh, moving on to episode two, I keep calling them episodes. In my we'll mind, everything that. is. I believe I've been, in you. <laughs> I've been a podcast. I've been a podcaster for so long. Everything is an episode to me. Uh, but an issue two, which, by the way, for the cover price, just just as I'm noting these, just uh, so we can give some inflation lessons along the way, the cover price for X Men number two, it was obviously higher for number one. I think it was like three ninety five because they had that special cover and it was a longer book. One dollar. One measly dollar, you could buy X Men number two. The same price you could buy X Men number one for if you're Remzo at the at the, at the swap meet many many years later. It's that inflation, folks. <laughs> anyway, we are back on on Genosha, uh, where the X Men have caught up, and um, Magneto is basically just claiming, look. Uh, he agrees, like, Fabian Cortez should not have come down there and launched that attack, uh, but Magneto is the one who's going to decide how to punish the Acolytes. They are under his purview now, uh, so, you know, he, the X-Men are, are, and all mutants are welcome to come to Asteroid M and join them, but, uh, you know, Mag- Magneto's in charge here. He's not going to give up Fabian Cortez and these new Acolytes to, to answer to the crimes. He is going to be the one to be the decider here, so he's sort of taking control uh, of, the, of the situation. And during this battle now, of course, the X-Men are not thrilled with the idea idea of Magneto just, you know, deciding the fate of his acolytes uh, for their crimes here. So, of course, a battle does ensue. And uh, during this battle, Fabian Cortez, we have no idea what his powers are at this point, just that he's a mutant. He kisses Psylocke and blasts her away. So at this point, it's still not clear what her power, his powers are, but explosive kisses seems to be it uh, as far as far as what we know so far. Yeah, that, that, that's one of those moves that you really cannot get away with now because you see that back then. It's like, oh, look what I did. You see that now. And it's like, what a jerk. Oh, my God, you see what he just did to her? Which I understand. That was pretty common in comics, actually. The more I think about it, it would be like a male character just grabbing a female character and kissing them as some sort of power play, which just, uh, in, in these current times, probably just isn't going to fly. Which, I mean, if, if you want them to hate the villain more, it certainly does that. I saw that, and I'm like, wow, what a jerk. He just did that. But it's just, it's one of those things where you really go back and you're like, oh, yeah, this is definitely a pre, pre-2000s comic. Right. Well, he's a villain, so maybe it's okay for him, but just wait till we get to some of Gambit's antics later on. <laughs> uh, anyway, so this battle ensues. Eventually, uh, you know, Magneto and his and his ilk get away. Um, we then see uh, Nick Fury is meeting with the Soviets, and they are demanding an initiation of something called... The are, they, Magne- are they still the Soviets? I believe, uh, well, actually, let's see. What year is it? 91? No, I think they're just the Russians. Thank you for the history lesson. I believe they are the Russians at this point. If you had told me they were the Soviets, I don't have the issue in front of me. If you had told me they were the Soviets, I would have totally believed you. I would have been like, wow, you're telling me that when this happened, the USSR was still around? When did the USSR dissolve? It was 89, right? Yeah, with Reagan. Okay. All right, we're going to call them the Russians. <laughs> Look, we're here to talk about comics, not to give you accurate history. All right, friends? Um, but they are demanding an initiation of something called the Magneto Protocols. Sounds very, very scary. Uh, obviously, I wonder what those have to do with. Yes, obviously these international organizations have always been in talk about not just Magneto, but about what to do with mutants. Uh, Magneto is one of the most powerful mutants. So, of course, they have some plan in place to take him out. Although at this point, we do not really know what that is. Uh, Back on Genosha in this battle, we find out that uh, what 
what Fabian Cortez did with his power, I guess what his power is, is to enhance the power of others. And in the case of Psylocke, it enhanced her powers so strong that she has these psychic powers that she's hearing everyone on the island, everyone that's getting hurt in this battle, uh, innocent people, and she's just like com- completely losing her mind here, which I thought was a, a pretty cool way to use what is sort of a weird power. You wouldn't think enhancing others' powers uh, would be all that useful if you're just going to make your enemy more powerful. But in this case, it uh, he was able to use that power, that ability to drive Psylocke completely mad. This is one of the first times in a comic where you actually really get to see the psychic ability of certain people and what it's really like for them. Because usually, right. you know, what they do is they cop out for uh, for this and they use telekinesis. So, you know, they're going to lift things. They're going to control telekinesis, people. Telekinesis, Kyle. Yeah, but this is one of those opportunities where I, when I saw this, I'm like, wow, now I, now I kind of understand it a lot more. Right. Uh, but during this battle, one thing that Fabian Cortez did not count on is that while it did drive Psylocke a bit nutty, it also made her psychic knife stronger and allowed her to use it to strike Magneto. He was holding uh, Wolverine and Cyclox at the time, and he was trying to talk Rogue into trusting him and and joining them. Uh, but then uh, Psylocke was able to kind of overcome that insanity and use her psychic knife to strike at Magneto and release her friends. Um, so at this time, a guy named Chrome who is one of the acolytes, he basically just freezes everyone that, that's there. And Mito, <clears throat> Magneto just captures the X-Men. He scolds Fabian Cortez. So there's still some nuance here because Magneto is kind of just not thrilled that he's even in this situation. He was perfectly happy back on Asteroid M. He took these acolytes in. Um, Fabian Cortez kind of goes rogue. Um, he, he doesn't want to turn on Fabian Cortez. He still wants these guys to be his acolytes, but he's not really happy about the situation. He scolds them. He's like, you know, your, your fate is going to be left up to me. All right. Like you're not out of the woods yet, buddy basically do you see this as kind of like one of those moments where it's like this newer really darker age of villains are in some ways outshining what we always thought the traditional villain would be because it's almost like you know magneto has some degree of control some degree of honor and then cortez is really like that you know just do what do whatever you have to do by any means necessary to win type of character Right it, here in in this the context of this, it almost seems like Cortez is the real villain. He's the one that shows up. He's the one that starts this whole thing. He's the one that gets Magneto involved with battling the X Men. He's the one that uh, that violates Psylocke and kisses her and, and makes her lose her mind. Um, Magneto is almost just kind of caught up in this whole th- whole thing. Um, he is Magneto. He does have pride. He's going to do things his way. But he's I don't want to call him a victim because he's pretty active in the whole thing too. He's but pretty complicit. Again, without Fabian Cortez, none of this is happening. Magneto's just hanging out in Asteroid M, sipping martinis or whatever Magneto drinks. Um, so back on Asteroid M, uh, Fabian Cortez, and now that he has been scolded, he tells Magneto that he discovered a genetic anomaly in him. And now we're going to end up getting into some backstory that I didn't really know about. I had to kind of look it up for this, which is another, another fun thing about doing these podcasts. It's not only am I revisiting old stories, but I'm then learning more about backstory I didn't even know about. So we'll get into all that stuff. But um, basically, Magne- Magneto shows up to confront Charles and uh, Maura McTaggart after he learns what Fabian Cortez had told him. And basically, Magneto goes and recaps this whole story. Uh, apparently, back in the day, there was a storyline where, and I did not research the entire storyline because if I went down every single rabbit hole, I would never even have time to get back to this podcast. It becomes a twelve-part series about right. one issue, about one so footnote. I'm just going to give you the tidbits, and if you want to go back, maybe on your Marvel Unlimited app, read all these stories. By all means, do so. 
But basically, at some point in the past, Magneto was, he, he Magneto is recapping this story to Charles and Moira, Moira and uh, he was turned into a baby. <laughs> he was taken under Moira's care. He was later turned back into his prime self by the Shi'ar, one of the male, many alien races in the uh, Marvel universe. Um, so that that was basically the, the recap of what of of everything that had led to Magneto, and then at that point when he was reverned, reborn to his sort of prime self is when he sort of became more of an ally of the X Men, ended up leading the New Mutants, blah 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 blah. Now, why does this happen, folks? Because comic books. Because comic books, exactly. <laughs> when someone turns into a baby, and then yeah, uh, this is not just a silly story. This will come back into the storyline later. I mean, it is pretty silly, but it, 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 it will play out. Uh, so. <clears throat> Magneto at this point is threatening Xavier's life, and um, basically he, he he uses the threat against Xavier to convince Moira to tell the truth about what she did to him under his care. Because I guess when he was that baby, <laughs> when he was baby Magneto, Moira was the one taking care of him. And based on what Fabian Cortez has told him, she was tinkering with his DNA or his genetics somehow. So he is pressuring her, threatening Charles's life to get Moira to admit um, w- you know, what, what she had done. Uh, and finally, Moira, Moira reveals that she did tinker with Magneto's DNA as a baby to help him from going mad from his powers. Because he was a, now he's a baby, but he's got these superpowers. And in her explanation, she had to do some tinkering of some kind to you know to to keep keep him sane, to keep him from going completely mad. Now, what what the problem with this, of course, is that now Magneto is questioning all of these years in the past prior to this comic that he joined the X-Men, that he was on their side, that uh, that he led the new mutants. Now he's thinking, was this even me? Did she did she did she tamper with me so much that I wasn't even being the true Magneto? So this is really messing with Magneto's mind. What did you think about this whole this whole reveal about uh, Moira admitting that she had tampered with Magneto back back when he was baby Magneto? It, it, it's one of those moments where you, you kind of have to ask, do the villains ever have, you know, it, how, how do I put this? Because I want to say this in, in the proper way. Do vi- w- Once you're a villain and once you've done things, do you ever have such things as like civil rights, like a right to privacy, like a right that if you're ever turned into a baby, they won't mess with your DNA? Because I know some people seeing this, they're like, oh, well, you know, Mora, what, what's the one argument? Well, Mora knows what he's going to grow up into. Therefore, she should go ahead and be able to do whatever she needs to do to make sure that if she, they're not just going to, like, you know, kill him at some point, they can at least figure out what makes him tick so they understand him more. And you've got other people that are like, well, you know, he's a baby. He's a blank slate, so to speak. You should give him the benefit of the doubt and see how he's going to end up growing up and obviously he doesn't grow up he just gets zapped and he's back to adulthood and he knows everything but it's one of those moments where it's like ah maybe maybe magneto has a right to be ticked off i mean if it's true that she manipulated him to be a different person than he normally was then uh i can't blame the guy again you're seeing a lot of reasons for Magneto to not become a full villain necessarily, but there's mo- there's logical motivations behind what he's doing. He's I not would just be mad. a maniac. Yeah, I'd be pissed off too. So of course, because this is comic books, instead of trying to right the wrongs or whatever uh, or what have you, Magneto proposes that well, here's what you got to do, Mora. These X-Men that I just captured, you got to do the same thing with them. Do what you did to <laughs> me. Just like you made me be more whatever, be more akin to Charles Xavier's way of thinking. I want you to brainwash the X-Men, use the same methods, and turn them into my point of view. So that's that's how this issue lays lays off with this offer of Moira to basically 
use her methods to convert the X-Men to Magneto's point of view. We also get a little prologue here where something called Omega is stolen by the Russians uh, and resurrected, I guess, by this Japanese gangster. I'm not sure if the resurrection was here. That might have come later, but this is just a prologue leading to a later story. Uh, He is stolen by the Russians and then by a Japanese gangster who they don't really introduce, but I do know is a guy named, uh, I believe is Matsuo, and he's part of the hand. He also has connections to Psylocke, and there's a lot of backstory with the X-Men with that stuff. So uh, that's that's as far as I'm going to go with that right now. But it will come back soon. Um, And then at at the final scene, we go back to the X-Men, to the main story for this. The X-Men tell Charles Xavier on on Asteroid M that they have joined Magneto, they, they have seen the light, uh, and they have seen the way. And in the meantime, the gold team is preparing <clears throat> in the danger room uh, to battle the X-Men. Because they've, they've, when, when Nick Fury shows up and um, he tells them, because they figured out what they know what's happened, they're kind of preparing a scenario where they have to l- use the danger room to try to prepare to battle their own X-Men. Because they, they found out the X-Men have gone over to Magneto's side. At the same time, they have to battle Magneto and his acolytes. And they're kind of freaking out. Amidst all of this, Nick Fury shows up. And he tells them about a forthcoming attack on Asteroid M about the Magneto protocols, which presumably would not only kill Magneto, they would kill all of their friends who are also there on Asteroid M. So that's how that that issue uh, ends off. Good old Nick Fury. If you can't beat Nick him, Fury. if you can't beat him, nuke him exactly. or whatever. <laughs> if you can't beat him, just destroy him. The more you go through comics, again, this is a theme that will come up often. Man, Nick Thur- Fury is... A son of a bitch. He, he's I'm, he's not good yeah. nor bad necessarily. He's a much more nuanced character. But when he has a mission, he barely much doesn't care who has to die for the mission. And we will explore that topic in a future episode. Yeah. And I mean, for the record, I growing up, especially in situations like this, I never saw him as a good guy. Right. It's like when he comes, he's just making a situation worse. He's but the because, government. Yeah. Yeah. He is the government. What do you expect? <laughs> Uh, Back to issue three, the end of this arc. The gold team is now on their way. The boring team, as I call them, is on their way to Asteroid M. Uh, Somehow they're going to confront all the X-Men and Magneto and the Acolytes, but they have to do this because, you know, the the Magneto protocols are going to be initiated. If they don't get there first, everyone's going to die. Um... So Magneto is uh, kind of flipping out on Mora. Um, they they really betray Magneto as truly hurt by by what she had done. Like she, like he seems emotionally hurt by what happened, especially because he's questioning like his entire existence over the last whatever years it was that he was uh, kind of coming more into Charles' view. I, I mean, think how exposed and vulnerable you must feel knowing that you were a baby and they literally could have done anything to you. Yeah, I mean, he's questioning his entire existence now. So again. There is some sympathy. There is some sympathy towards Magneto uh, throughout this. Um, meanwhile, Mora realizes because because Magneto collapses while he's going on this whole rant against Mora and how upset he is, and he collapses. And Mora, because she's the scientist and knows everything, she realizes that it's Fabian Cortez because Fabian Cortez has been doing these healing sessions with Magneto because he was um, he was injured by Wolverine again in that first in that first issue. And during these healing sessions, now Mora is realizing that that. Fabian Cortez is actually harming Magneto through these healing sessions and making him worse every time. So the reader again is learning that Fabian Cortez is kind of more of the villain here. He's he's manipulating the X-Men, but he's really manipulating Magneto behind the scenes at the same time. So again, a lot of nuance here with with how we see Magneto. Back on Asteroid M, this is one thing that just annoyed me. It's just, it just felt too easy. Like the X-Men are there celebrating becoming Magneto's acolytes. Like whatever Moira did was so simple. It's like she just went in to these five X-Men and like put a chip in their brain and suddenly they're all about Magneto. They're all they're they're swimming in the pool. 
pool. Uh, they're doing dives. They're about that evil brotherhood life. Yeah, they're living that evil bro life, just like that. And uh, to me, that just seemed a—it's comic books, you know. So that's what it is. Uh, and, they can't spend... you know, things like that happen so often, like in the comics and in the cartoons. It's like, oh, this is. For me, and I don't know if this is what kind of set the trend or whatever, but when I see this, it's like, oh, it's another brainwash story. Right. Okay. Another brainwash story. Yeah. Exactly. We've had enough of those, and we will have many more of those uh, down the line in comic books. Uh, but during uh, this little party session, uh, Rogue, something happens with Rogue, and she kind of seems confused for a moment, and because she uses her powers is what happens. And uh, I think Magneto, I think maybe Gambit tried to tried to hit on her as as he as he often does, and um, she used her powers to like fly away. And uh, then there was a moment where she kind of seems confused, and meanwhile Wolverine exits ab- ab- abruptly, and Beast is just suspicious of, of all this thing because he's they're all they're brainwashed, but they're still their same selves. You know what they I mean? They can't they're tell not... that they're that brainwashed. It's like they right. have a degree of freedom, but they can't tell what the situation really is. Yeah. Their personalities have have not changed. They have just sort of changed their view to be in line with Magneto based on this brainwashing. But they still they still are the same characters, basically. You know, they're not suddenly just automatons who are evil. Yeah. Uh, so Wolverine goes and confronts Mora. She knows and, and knows that the the uh, the X Men are there. The X Men Gold have showed up. Uh, the the boring team. They enter the ship and they're attacked by their own friends, Team Blue and the Acolytes. And and when they and that scene with with uh you know, Wolverine confronting Mora at this point, you still think Wolverine is brainwashed. Uh, but, and he, it seems like he's threatening her. You know, he's like, we, we're going to welcome your friends. You know, um, he's, a, he's a menacing Wolverine in my mind at this point, I, I'm thinking Wolverine's healing power has, has already healed the brainwashing, um, which is kind oh, of, that, fig- that, that would make sense. Yeah. That's the way I, I took that scene where it's meant to be menacing. But if you're thinking about it and and you think about the scene where Wolverine kind of abruptly left before, I'm like, oh, so maybe his healing power is is helping him with the brainwashing hmm. or maybe because his healing power. Anyway, we'll get to why they got unbrainwashed. He's gone through so much brain damage and everything. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, so the, the X-Men gold, they enter the ship and they're attacked by Team Blue and the Acolytes from all fronts. Um Rogue intervenes at, at one point on on Cy- Cyclops actually tries his eye beam attack on Jean Grey on his not yet never, wife, but not on, never on, a good idea right and uh, Rogue intervenes here and the X Men all start to come to their senses here because uh, Rogue had already come to her senses when she used her powers earlier um, Magneto starts to like disincorporate his um, I, don't, I don't know how to say this he was sort of tr- trying to hold everything together and Magneto gets they, they use the word disincorporate to, uh, to, to describe what happened to Magneto as that's a Claremont word that's total, a, definitely total a Claremont Chris Claremont word, word. Um, so now, now the X-Men have snapped out of it because we figure out that for whatever Mora did she did do the brainwashing thing but I, for whatever whatever it was whatever this method is when they use their powers it it kind of pushes the brainwashing away so that's why they're snapping back into it that's why rogue snaps back into it that's probably why wolverine snaps back into it quickly because he's always his powers are always working you know he's always healing uh, his body in some way um magneto wolverine refuses to kill magneto here although he is of course very tempted uh, but Wolverine, um, Mora g- gives a really good speech here, I thought, about about free will and innate power. And, and this is where she reveals that using the powers disrupted the brainwashing, which means that unlike what Magneto was so upset about, that since Magneto had been using his powers all, over all those years, uh, he really was acting of his own free will 
over those years that he joined Charles Xavier and uh, joined with the New Mutants and all of that. It really was his own free will. So now we're back to seeing, look, that was you the whole time. Now he's probably even more conflicted because he's like, no, I was supposed to be the villain the whole time. But no, I guess I was really this other guy. I mean, you can only imagine what he's going through. You don't know what's true because you know what they've done. So even if that is the truth, it might not be the truth you wanted, as you just said. Exactly, exactly. So let's see what happens here. So basically, uh, Cortez escapes because Magneto has realized that you know, Cortez is not on his side. And he realizes that uh, he's been sort of siphoning from Magneto or what have you. Mark Cortez sets off this plasma gun and sets off all these missiles. Uh, but it's actually Magneto that ends up holding everything together. So he's like, look, I'm going to say here, I got all these nuclear missiles. I got all this stuff going on. Only my power can hold it together. You don't want to attack me because then I won't be able to hold this stuff together. But I'll let you guys leave. So that's basically how it ends. Somewhat heroically in an odd way for Magneto. He stays there with the Acolytes. He gives this, And he gives a really good speech at the end of the storyline here where he talks about how Charles Xavier, he always imagines the Holocaust. And that's why he has a positive outlook on things. But Magneto was raised in a Nazi death camp. So that's why he sees it from his point of view. Because what the horrors that Professor Xavier imagines happening to, to mutant kind... Um, Magneto has already been through that. And it basically just sums up their two different viewpoints on, on the relationship between mutant kind and, um, and humans. So that yeah. is how that thing uh, ends up, uh, with, with basically Magneto staying behind with the rest of the accolades, lights, non-Fabian Cortez, because he had to get out of there. And uh, he's sort of the hero. He, he did actually save everyone at the, at the end of that day. This is definitely one of those moments where you really see the contrast between Professor X and Magneto, because Professor X is always trying to fight on the side of good. What if things don't go bad? We could still make a better future. And because Magneto, he's dealing with obviously a ton of trauma. It's not if if things go bad, it's a matter of when things go bad. And I mean, this story right now, we see so many portions of it were used for the animated series i know there was a, a story arc where they're on asteroid m and fabian cortez is doing his whole diabolical thing to magneto and the bunch but i mean this is really the magneto that we see today in many ways this is the one that you're growing accustomed to in the x-men films especially when um you know you see younger magneto what, what's the actor's name shoot oh, they got the new ones yeah, the, the you, German you, guy. You got me there. Yeah. Well, I'm folks, s- send us, you, you know, the, the, the new younger Magneto that we've seen in the recent films. And I think this is really the way he's supposed to be. This is why whenever we've seen him teaming up with other villains, Red Skull, who knows, it just doesn't seem right. And this is why when he teams up with the X-Men, it's never Michael oh, Fassbender. One of Michael, Michael Fassbender. Fassbender. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's like this is the Magneto that I think is the definitive Magneto. And Claremont did it in such a way that people have almost felt wrong diverting from this type of character. Not to say he still doesn't do evil things, but he does so with an actual reason for doing so. That at least makes some degree of sense. And we're going to go into the next storyline because it's all collected in this one trade paperback, Extant Mutant Genesis. But really, that first three issues is really the initial storyline. And um, I'm not going to spend as much time on the second storyline for a number of reasons. Uh, But at this point, something happens. Claremont, Chris Claremont, uh, has issues with Marvel. 
And he ends up abrupt. I don't know how abrupt it was, but he left after issue three. So now at this point, Scott Lobdell takes over, I believe, along with John Byrne, uh, helping with the dialogue. So now I, I think they had a storyline laid out. They had laid out the seeds of the Omega Red storyline, but then Claremont took off. Now, he wasn't part of the Image Comics revolution or anything. He didn't leave to join them, which would happen like later in the next year. But I, from what I've read, he was supportive of the Image revolution and the Image people leaving. And I think he probably had some similar issues with, with Marvel Comics that they, they had, but I don't know much further about why exactly the, the split occurred at that time. Do you? I I mean, it, this is a period where you've got a ton of people leaving. And you've got a ton of people leaving DC, too. I mean, people need to realize this was an industry-wide issue. And Claremont, who had been with Marvel for, like, a, I'm pretty sure a decade at that point, like, when you've got people like him leaving, that's noticeable. When you lose an inker or a, you're a creator on a smaller title or an artist, I mean, you're not really losing anything. You've got a ton of people that are willing to step up and take their place. But when you lose somebody like this, who was not only part of, you know, some of the best X-Men stories, uh, I mean, there's a guy who worked with Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter leaves about a year before Claremont leaves. Uh, Jim Shooter was one of the others, uh, uh, one of the publishers at Marvel. And what what happens with Jim Shooter during this whole, what we refer to as the image re- revolution, he starts Valiant, which wasn't named uh, Valiant. Much, it was the much something less heralded else. revolution. Yeah, but like this is, this is a big problem so the fact that they were able you know looking on the brighter side the fact that they were able to keep this continuity going with the stories and everything else just really shows that you know you can't take down the x-men that fast it's gonna keep going with or without you exactly yes so now we move on to X-Men number four. We still have Jim Lee on the art. And at the beginning of this issue, we are now going right into, as we discuss, we're going into a Wolverine storyline. He's the most popular character, and uh, that's why he's on this book. So we're diving right in. It was teased, I believe, in issue two when they captured this thing from the Russians called Omega. We now found find out that this is a, char- a character. I believe this is this character's debut from everything I, I found out. Omega Red is resurrected so he had existed before but i don't believe in the comics and um and he was resurrected and his japanese sponsor uh shows him a picture of wolverine omega red clearly recognizes wolverine and uh, looks like he has a grudge against him again this guy is i believe his name is matsuo and he is from the hand and he is tied into many many x-men things over the years um then we go to a kind of a, a very silly fight <laughs> like the x-men get into a silly fight over using their powers in a basketball game uh, this is like goes on for pages and pages where they're, they're trying to play without their powers. And then they're saying, well, how do I know you're not really using your powers because your powers are blah, blah, blah. So they get into a whole fight over it. It's pretty silly. It's pretty dumb, but it's very, it's very X many. It's very establish these characters and their rapport kind of thing. But what do you think of that whole thing? Didn't really I, do much for me. I mean, I, I always enjoyed that. That's one reason why I like a lot of the older Avengers comics from the 70s and 80s, because unlike Justice League, unlike a lot of the other team-based comics, you actually see that, I mean, these people are more than just a team. They're family. They live together. They do stuff together. They have these, you know, just pithy moments that are really non-sequential, but it really kind of ties it together. So that way, when somebody goes bad or when somebody dies or when somebody's going through a difficult period, it affects them all and it feels more genuine versus if you're just really sticking it in for, you know, originality points at some point. It's almost like, oh, this is a natural progression of it. And I think that's why people love the X-Men so much, because they they take these moments where you get to really see not just their mutant side, but really their their more their more individual human side. I, I always like stuff like that. It always, it always tugs at my heartstrings. All right. We then go on and we meet in Berlin. We meet 
Andres and Andrea Strucker, who are known as Fenris. They are these twins known as Fenris. To me, they are very uninteresting and basically... They're basically diehard villains. Spoiler alert, they are completely, like irrelevant to the rest of the story. <laughs> like, like, like they are there. They're the one we find out. They're the ones that hired Matsuo to activate Omega red to go after Wolverine. Um, we find out a little bit more why later, but ultimately they don't, they hardly do anything. And to me, their presence was pointless. I, I found, I found no, no interest whatsoever in these characters. If it makes you feel better, they were never interesting. Well, that's good. That doesn't make me feel better, actually. Uh, meanwhile, back at the mansion, Gambit continues to attempt to sexually assault Rogue. This is a uh, an ongoing theme. He is always trying to get on Rogue, always trying to kiss her, always trying to touch her, and she's always pushing him away, not necessarily because she doesn't like him, because she does continue to flirt with him, but because her superpower, if you touch her skin, she's going to absorb his power. If, she, if he kisses her, he, he, he could kill her. But Bam, Gambit don't give a fuck because Gambit is horny and he doesn't care if he has to, to risk getting all his powers sucked away. He wants to get in on Rogue, so he's he going to keep trying. He is the Pepe Le Pew of the X-Men. Right. He just we also see uh, We also see Wolverine make a shot, a basketball shot facing backwards as he walks off the court, which I thought was kind of funny. A kind of funny random moment to add in there. Yeah, th- this is, okay, th- this is the one thing about Gambit I never liked. And I like him in all other mediums. I like him in the cartoons, the games, whatever. I don't like reading Gambit dialogue. Oh yeah, it's Gam- Gambit dialogue no, is me. harsh. It's just I I I don't I don't like it. I get it. You're trying to make him sound Cajun and stuff, but it just it reads it reads rough. Especially because I always hear it in the in that voice from the animated cartoon. Monami, Sherry, like uh, I just yeah. I it, 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 I hate it. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I like. I, I theoretically love the character of Gambit, but cannot stand his dialogue. I don't like they reading are, him. I don't like reading full him. Full agreement there. Um, at this point, Gambit and Rogue decide to go on a date. Uh, they are dressed very differently. Gambit is in a like a motorcycle and I, I think like a tank top, uh, like a motorcycle jacket and a, and a tank top. Meanwhile, Rogue is dressed like a Southern Belle from like the 1840s. Uh, well, and then because they're the X-Men, uh, Beast and Wolverine and Jubilee decide they're going to chaperone and they're, they're going to follow them on this date because that's what adults do. They, they go and follow people. It's like dates. Fuller House X-Men edition. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mora is completely distraught. Uh, she really feels guilty over everything that happened with her brainwashing the X-Men, uh, all that weird stuff that happened on Asteroid M. And uh, so she decides to leave the mansion, which she reveals to Banshee, who I believe was she. She was. was she, w- I think they were married at the time. They were together at the time. I know she was historically with Professor X, but I, I mean, I don't think they were at this point. So I think she was actually with Banshee at this point. Yeah. Uh, blah blah blah. Omega Red. Then we go back to Omega Red. And um, he reveals himself to Wolverine. Wolverine attacks kind of uh, their convoy gets attacked at their convoy as they're going out um, to to sort of chaperone this date. Um, Wolverine recognizes Omega Red as someone he calls Arcady. Am I do I have that right? I got to go back. Or is that, it's, or is somebody it's, else? it's Russian. It's Russian. Sometimes. That that is him because he wasn't okay. always right. that. Oh, and n- he, he was not Omega Red at the time. Yeah, they knew each other. Yeah, not not a spoiler, but he was not he was not a mutant. Okay, so she's taken off. So, and uh, in the meantime, there's this whole accident on the on the side of the road uh, where this battle's going on. But M- Mora is so distraught. The driver's like, "Oh, should we stop and help these people?" But she's so upset, and she won't even let this driver stop and help. And she's like, "No, I just get me out of here." So, what a bitch Mora is! What After all the shit she did, she's brainwashing the X Men, brainwashing Baby Magneto, even though she didn't really brainwash him. And um, 
And now she can't even look at the side of the road to whatever tragedy is occurring here because she's so damn selfish. She just has to get herself out of there. So. Yeah, not not to get into a tangent, but she, but she was also a pretty terrible mother. Yeah. <laughs> so we move on to X-Men number five. My first note here is that Cerebro is mutant big brother and it's very creepy. Like they go into this whole thing about how Cerebro tracks mutants all over the globe. And um, they, they had suddenly detected a mutant five miles away, which they shouldn't have been able to detect. Like they should have detected it earlier. So there's something strange going on. They're freaked out because if a, if a mutant was getting close, they should have known a lot earlier by five from than five miles away. But it's really creepy. This whole, this whole Cerebro thing that they can just latch in, find any mutant anywhere at any time. The, the one interesting thing about this though, and it's in this issue where they really kind of rewrite the rules for how Cerebro works. And there's, they still apply today, even though it's not in like the, the giant room that you're going to see in the, the Brian Singer X-Men movies prior to this Cerebro, was only like a helmet it was only something to amplify his powers now you're really getting the new rules for how cerebro works it can connect with other mutants it can track them it can tell the difference between that and humans this is the cerebro we're going to know for you know for all continuity changes retcons what have you this is the cere- this is basically the same cerebro we have today uh one other note is that psylocke looks hot this is where jim always Lee starts to get me starts to get me with uh, his art <laughs> <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just leave it at that. I'm a nearly 40-year-old man. I should not be. Uh, I should not have some of these thoughts. There's but a reason why we still buy it. <laughs> but the man, the man can draw the draw the female body. Let's just put it that way. Um. So the X-Men uh, that alert sets them off. So they go out to meet up with the other X, 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 X-Men as they escape from this these bad guys that attack them. Uh, and they find Wolverine's mask, which he was not wearing before because he was just going out on the town as Logan. Uh, so they think that is a little weird. Uh, then there's this battle between Omega Red and Logan, which lasts for like, they say it lasts for almost eight hours as Matsuo and, uh, this scientist guy who I think I find out his name later, but I didn't know at the time I was taking the notes. They're watching on this monitor and they decide to call off the attack before Omega Red is able to kill Logan. But it's clear that Logan is, is outmatched here. Uh, but they're, they're sort of just, uh, playing with him at this point. Yeah, because um, what we're going to learn in just a, a page or two is that they really just want to mess with him. Right. Uh, then we, have, we then start to get some flashbacks that we'll see throughout these. Uh, back to uh, Arcady, uh, who I guess is our Omega Red, and this and this and uh, that same scientist. And um, Wolverine is at, in the current times, Wolverine is having tests done to him by Matsuo, the scientist there. Fenris is there. And basically their whole plan is they're going to, I think, use Wolverine's healing powers to somehow find new an immortality for what they call a new Reich. So hooray! That's the grand plan here. Oh, and if folks, you haven't caught it by now, the Fenris, the the Strucker twins, they're Baron von Strucker's children. So, of course, Nazis. Okay, so we have so we now have Nazis here as well. Um, meanwhile, they they mentioned that the gold team is is off meeting with the Hellfire Club. We're not exactly sure why, uh, but because of that, uh, the blue team is going to go off to find Wolverine. But they also suspect: is there some kind of distraction here? Is this is this something that is this a grander plan? Uh, Jean Grey, I also note, is looking smoking here too. Always, <laughs> but more um, so whenever Jim Lee touches up the pages. Right. And Jubilee is very excited because she is getting to actually go on this mission. Uh, we also have a scene, which seems rather pointless, but I wrote it down where Forge and Professor X just play chess while everyone else goes out and does stuff because they got to stay at the mansion. <laughs> Why not? Um, 
Wolverine is then saved by, not by the X-Men, but some dudes in yellow armor. And uh, I guess he used to know them, apparently. They all seem to know each other. And this is all happening right as the X-Men arrive. And that is how that issue basically ends. Uh, There is a post scene. Now, this is where things get really confusing. And I'm not going to try to get into it too, too much. Because these are really just seeds they're planting for stories down the line. But I think one of the problems with the X-Men mythos is there's just so many mutants, so many characters over the years. And so much to go back and figure out that if you are like, if you were just reading this book right now, you would just, it would be impossible for you to find out who these characters were without the internet. The only reason I was able to do it is because I looked on the internet and learned more about them. Uh, but if you were just reading this book, I mean, this would be a really, this is when like issue one to three, I think was a great jumping on point. But I think these other issues between getting into all this backstory that they're referencing with Wolverine, all this other stuff they're going to bring up, it, it can be very intimidating for a new reader. So in that, in that post scene, we see, uh, I mean, we find a mutant who doesn't remember being an X-Men. This is Dazzler. Uh, she's rescued by another mutant called Longshot, and they all teleport themselves uh, to this place um, where I think it's Mojo World. It's yeah, it's in- getting peak 90s at that yeah. point. Which is just, I'm not going to do a 30-minute treatise on Mojo and what Mojo World is, because it doesn't really become that relevant to this story, but these are just seeds they're planting out there. But if I'm a new fan and I'm seeing all these characters, they're not even really saying who each other are. It would I would be starting to get very, very confused at this point. So while issue one through three was a very good entry level, I think it's starting to get away from that very quickly. Yeah, and I mean, you totally see this. These writers are really trying to get you invested into the series long term. And because of that, they focus less on what's going on in this issue. And they're trying to plant seeds for why you should be buying the series a year from now. Right, right, right. Exactly. Which is a a weird strategy. Uh, We then go to issue number six. And who shows up but uh, our good friend Sabretooth. Wolverine's old enemy from back in the day. Uh, he is there to track down Wolverine, uh, who is now being helped by these yellow armored guys who they just resuscitated Wolverine with a bunch of drugs. So they have come, and meanwhile, the, the X-Men are battling Omega Red. So while the X-Men are there to try to save Wolverine, it's actually these yellow armored guys who uh, apparently had a past with Wolverine back in the day, as well as with Sabretooth. Um, they're there to rescue him for some other reason. We also go back to another flashback, or not another flashback, but another side story where we have... Um, Longshot and Dazzler, this other chick, Lila, that's with them. They show up to, to have this conflict with Mojo. They get led away by a weird monkey creature. They join up with some rebellion that they don't remember. Uh, Dazzler's completely confused, but she still decides to kiss Longshot, this guy she doesn't remember knowing. Guys, don't, do, don't put too much thought into this stuff because I didn't. It doesn't pay off. It, it doesn't, doesn't pay, pay off. off. Unless you're going to read the next 50 issues of X-Men, this is never going to pay off. So I'm just going to I'm just saying it could include this in stuff that's confusing and stuff that, to me, we're already getting away from welcoming new readers at this point. Because I'm starting to get so confused at this point. And I'm a longtime X-Men fan, and I'm getting confused. Um, anyway, during this battle, uh, the battle, you know, back with Omega Red and everything, Psylocke comes under control of this, some some sort of previously implanted hypnotic suggestion by Magneto. And they do this thing that they always do. They actually reference an old episode, uh, an old episode. Again, I'm doing it again. An old issue. I think they said it was back in Uncanny X-Men. I wrote down 25, but I feel like I left off a number because that seemed that seems way too long. Ago. This is this is what ticks me off, though. Like, this is what ticks me off. And this is like a soap opera motif. Oh, I have amnesia. Remind me who I am. Oh, right. we have this this memory that was taken out or something else. And they do this a lot with Wolverine. It's like, I get it. But. 
it's used so often for so many different characters. If you just stuck it with with Wolverine, that's part of him. That's part of who he really is in the 90s when you get really a lot of the great Wolverine X-Men stories. Right. But when you, they keep doing this over and over and over again, and this happens all the freaking time, it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, this is like, this just feels like they got lazy. Uh, yeah, here it is. It must have happened. It says it must have happened. There's an asterisk. It must have happened in Uncanny X-Men number 256. <laughs> maybe. So if you want to go maybe back. Not. Maybe. It, we, we're not even committing to whether it did. So if you want to go back to Uncanny 256 and see if a hypnotic suggestion was implanted in Psylocke by Matsuo at that time, be my guest, my friends, because we're willing to go far for you, but we're not willing to go that far. If you were – so, I mean, we've already talked about it. This is not helping new readers. Even as somebody who is a committed series you know, fan for a lot of these things. I hate it when they do that. Even with yeah. stuff now, I will. I I almost refuse to go back. I prefer just give me a one sentence explanation. Don't send me to some issue from four years ago. Now when I just go track that thing down, especially in the '90s where you had to go to a comic book store or a comic convention to track it down. At least now, I guess you could go buy it on Comicsology or read it on Marvel Unlimited. But still, don't make me go read multiple multiple issues in the middle of this other already confusing issue. That, that I'm just, sure, yeah, it feels like I'm a sure cash Uncanny Two Fifty Six is going to lead me to Uncanny Three. You know, no One Ninety One. Yeah, you know, it's never going to stop. It feels like a cash grab. That's what makes it worse. Yeah. So just give me a sentence recap. I'm okay with it. I'll buy the, I'll believe you that it happened earlier. Okay. You don't need to prove it to me. Um, anyway, we, we now learn more through more flashbacks. Uh, by the way, so Psylocke is now under control of Matsuo because of this previously implanted suggestion. So now Psylocke is on the team of, you know, the anti-X-Men team because that, because, because comics, because we'll, comics. We'll, 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 we'll use that phrase a lot. <laughs> um, we, we find out that Logan's saviors slash captors is still not quite, they're, they're kind of working together, but it's still not quite sure the relationship here, there. They worked with him in the CIA along with Sabretooth. I wrote CIA, but I feel like this would be, would have been in the Canadian program. No, but they did say the CIA. They, they for, did for this do mission. stuff with, he, he works for everybody. This was, this was an international thing. So it had Sabretooth, it had, um, Wolverine had this other guy whose name I will find later in my notes. Maverick. <laughs> Maverick, yes. Yeah. This is the introduction of Maverick. Right, so these guys all worked on some mission at some point back in the day for the CIA. Um, Logan doesn't really even remember him. He just kind of, like, knows he did. You know, he, like, I, I know I, rem- I think I remember you, but I have, I have really no idea why, because this is this would have been before Logan's memory was completely wiped. Um, so Maverick is his name, and he thinks that Logan has the key to this C synthesizer stuff. And this C synthesizer stuff, I guess, is something that gives people powers. They do another flashback to the CAA days and a, a battle with Sabretooth, at which point, I spoiled this already, but Sabretooth shows up uh, with some chick in a shoot, suit called Birdie. <laughs> and, um, she does not this, matter at all. <laughs> th- there's a funny line in here when, when, when yeah, she doesn't matter at all, when, um, when, she, when he shows up and this guy, uh, what is the guy's name? Cornelius, is that the professor? Dr. Yeah, professor Cornelius, Corne- yeah. Dr. Cornelius, he just says, this just keeps getting more and more complicated. <laughs> and all I thought was, Dr. Cornelius, you know me so well. You really do understand me. <laughs> this is getting more and more complicated. Unlike the first three issues, the first arc, which is very straightforward, made a lot of sense. This is just getting so freaking complicated. We're just adding extra characters in there. And every every there's another twist. We, have, we already have another brainwashing scenario that we just had in the last story because now Psylocke is uh, you know brainwashed. And now Psylocke, 
uses, because she's brainwashed, she then uses her power to take control of Sabretooth, and then they go and, and go to collect a Wolverine for, for um, after Maverick frees him. Um, it takes like 30 seconds for them to, to overpower everything. So now Psylocke and Sabretooth are collecting Wolverine back from Maverick because they are working with Matsuo through Psylocke's, um, Psylocke's you know, mental suggestion from earlier, and um, that is what is going on right now. And here you um, have the plot for Inception. Yes, and apparently, <laughs> apparently, exactly. Apparently, this whole thing is because they're trying to get this C synthesizer stuff, and Omega Red needs that to live and to get stronger. And in the meantime, Matsuo says, "All right, while we're waiting, uh, why don't you just uh, kill one of the X Men? You can kill whoever you want." And we also learned at this point that this group that's forming is calling themselves the Upstarts. Uh, there's one issue left of this. What do you think of this this storyline so far compared to the the first storyline? I I hate it. I hate I, it it's so it's everything the first three Claremont. <laughs> issues are not yeah. it's like why does this yeah. have to even be in the same trade paperback just sell me a cheap one with the three issues and i'll be fine yeah i mean this really shows how good intentions ended up ruining an otherwise awesome story because some of the best x-men comics that i remember a lot of story arcs they're very self-contained yeah they they self-reference the other issues and other events but if i can't if i my thing is this of course you want to you want to give a payoff for people that are reading it. But if I can't pick it up and at least understand not more than half of what's going on, at least more than half, I don't think that's very demanding of much more than half of what's going on. You lose me. Right. And we're big fans and they're losing us at this point. So this is really a stark contrast between the first, the first very straightforward. Um, as long as you include brainwashing entire members in one panel, straightforward, uh, a very straightforward story into this very complicated thing that references all this history, some of which we've seen in comics, some of which we're hearing about for the first time, and it's all just, you know, we don't know what's going on. It's confusing as fuck. Yeah. So, on to issue seven, uh, Omega Red and company, they're interrogating Wolverine because they want this sea synthesizer stuff. They're convinced he knows where it is uh, because of what we've seen in the flashback, but since then, Wolverine has been brainwiped, <clears throat> and he doesn't remember shit, and, uh, Sabretooth keeps repeating this phrase. Nobody told me the kid was out of sorts. I don't remember why I wrote that down. It's just in my notes. Okay. <laughs> Sabretooth calls uh, everyone a kid. It's like yeah. they, the, the relationship between Sabretooth and Wolverine is so wonky. And I think he just didn't yeah. realize Wolverine was so messed up at this, at this point. Yeah. They have actually now taken control of, now they're basically teamed up because See, now I'm, I'm getting confused by my own notes. <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense because they, they change it so often. You know, it's not like what they did with Magneto in the first couple issues. It, you, you, you understand enough of what's going on if you're new. You understand so much more if you've been reading it for a long time. With Sabretooth, this doesn't make sense. All right, here, here's why it gets confusing. It's coming back to me now. We believe that Sabretooth is under control of Psylocke, who is under the control of Matsuo. Okay? It turns out... Psylocke wasn't really under Matsuo's control because she overcame the mental suggestion with her powers or something to that effect. Uh, meanwhile, Dr. Cornelius is scanning Logan's memories, trying to find out this, where the this C synthesizer stuff is because they need that to make fully power Omega Red. And um, so Psylocke wasn't actually under control. So she actually was controlling Sabretooth, but not for Matsuo. She was controlling Sabretooth for her. That's she so is stupid. insane. I wrote here, she is insanely <laughs> powerful. She can not, not only overcome this thing, at the same time, she can use her powers, control Sabretooth. So now she controls Sabretooth to help Maverick free the X-Men. Um, but as Beast makes a mental note, he says, that's only going to last as long as she's conscious, as long as she's controlling it. 
Oh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Great timing because just as he says this, Matsuo knocks out Sabretooth and because uh, not, no, I'm sorry, not Sabretooth, knocks out Psylocke and because as Beef just convenient Beast just conveniently let us know she's going to lose control if she becomes unconscious. Now Sabretooth regains control and he attacks Maverick because <laughs> now he's back on team Matsuo, which he was originally there for. Are you confused yet, people? This is um, this is so bad. This is we're, so we're bad. We're almost there. Yes, we're almost there. So I'm going to get us through the end of this thing. All right. Eventually, the X-Men and Maverick escape. Um, and, and Maverick thinks to himself, and, and they, they thank him. They're like, oh, thanks for your help, Maverick. You know, I'm glad we could all, you know, become friends and work together. But we have a little thought balloon from Maverick where he says, well, they wouldn't be so appreciative if they knew why I was really here. Dun, dun, dun. Whatever that means. And unfortunately, before we get to the very end, we do have to quickly... Go back to Mojo World for some reason, oh, where God. we find out this rebellion was put 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 down, uh, and Dazzler's thinking to herself, "Man, maybe we need to go get an army of the X Men." So they're they're alluding to some story where you know, man, if we, if we could almost take out Mojo in this weird Mojo World with just the, the just the few of us in this bandied together rebellion, which we never saw in the pages of this comic book, by the way, they just reference it. Um, they said maybe we should go get an army of X Men. So I guess in the future, in episodes that issues, <laughs> in issues that we're probably not going to read, uh, there's some battle where they get the X-Men and go back to Mojo World. But we don't care about that because this whole thing is stupid. Um, meanwhile, as our kind of our prologue, Matsuo and company are robbing a grave from for the sea symp- for to get this sea synthesizer because apparently say they, that three times fast. Sea robbing C- a grave C- for the sea C- synthesizer. Sea synthesizer. Man, they could have not give up. <laughs> uh, so they rob this grave, tech, uh, uh, believing they're going to find the sea synthesizer in it, because I guess Wolverine had killed someone, and, and it was they thought it was with that person in the grave. That was what was in Wolverine's memory. But it was a trick. It was either an implanted memory or something like that, because Wolverine is waiting there for them, along with Maverick. So um, Wolverine is there. Wolverine and Maverick fend these guys off. They're like, gotcha, suckers. And then Wolverine still doesn't really remember who Maverick was, but he has like some vague memory. He knows he's not he just, shooting at him, so it's yeah, good he enough. knows he's not shooting at him, and he's helped him the other time. So he's like, you know, Maverick, I don't know, I don't know how I really know you, but something tells me this is this belongs to you. So you he seem like Maverick. a good guy. You seem like a decent kid, Mav. So he tosses him the C synthesizer, and that's the end. Woo wee! What a contrast between these two stories. That's like some Brett Ratner bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> For real. So this is almost like a tale of two stories. Um, I don't even know if they can be fairly graded together. They have separate writing teams. Um, we have gone back and forth on how we're going to recommend, you know, series to people and that sort of thing. I chose this because it is really the genesis of my entry into comic books. I got into comic books right when the X-Men were becoming huge. This is not the first comic book I bought, but it's one of the first. It's like, it's the first one that stands out in my mind is, oh my God, I have to buy this book. So that's why I wanted to use this as a starting point because it was my personal starting point into comic books. Uh, So that's why I, I went into it. Um, I don't know how we're going to grade things. The art, I think that you can't argue with the art, like the art, the art throughout is a 10. Like this is classic Jim Lee. Um, the art's always awesome. The art, there's not a panel of art that's disappointing. That's really confusing. Even when the story is confusing, I totally get what's physically happening because the art. It's still enough to make me want to buy it. Exactly. So the art is a thing of beauty. The art has stood up the, to the test of time. Uh, I give the art a 10, a 5. However, we're grading things. We're figuring this out as we go along. But uh, the art is stellar. Uh, but when it comes to the writing, I, I don't know. It, when, we, when it comes to the first story, I like the story. I like the overall arc. I do think Chris Claremont is a little too damn wordy. Sometimes I just want to see the battle. I don't need a whole conversation during the whole freaking battle. I know we have to get some characterization in. 
it's like Spider-Man too. And I like this about Spider-Man usually because it usually is actually witty and funny and funny one-liners. But sometimes there's like a five-page sp- fight with Spider-Man and like the octopus and it's just like, it's just, it's five pages. of like, how, how are you not out of breath? Like, how are you, how are you getting all these one-liners out while you're like di- diving between buildings, shooting webs, blah, 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 blah. So I, I'm cool with dialogue, but when it's overdone, it bothers me. And I do feel Chris Claremont overdoes the dialogue. So, um, you know, Again, I don't know how we're grading this, but for that, for, I think we need to grade them separately for this first story arc uh, of Mutant Genesis. So the first three I, I, issues. First three the, issues, The ones yes. that Claremont actually wrote. Yeah, I, I'm giving this puppy... Why don't I just do a five and five to make things simple? I'm giving the art a five. I'm giving the writing a three. Eh. I'm giving the writing a 3.5. I just changed myself. Because it is very good writing. Wow. There's a lot of nuance with Magneto. It's done well. Um, the, my only complaint about the writing is a little bit too much wordiness and just the very comic me snap snap your fingers in their brainwash kind of you know comic book. It's thing, a cop but, hey, out, it's com- but you know, but it's comics. I will give that an eight point five, I guess overall. Then how how about we call it that? But I have to separately grade this separate issue. And as we said, things get confusing, things get crazy. Just our description got confusing. Uh, about who's controlling who. Who Psylocke's being controlled, but she's really controlling Sabretooth, but she's actually not being controlled, so she is controlling Sabretooth for a good reason. My God. I'm so lost. Uh, <laughs> we didn't need half these characters in this. This could have just been a simple story about Omega Red and learning about Wolverine's past, but instead we had to include all these characters like Fenris and Dr. Cornelius and Maverick and then go into this weird stuff with Dazzler and Mojo World, and it's just all so unnecessary. Like, there's a, there's the potential for a good Wolverine story here, but we didn't get it. We just got a confusing mess. So for this one, I'm still going to give the art a five. I mean, I can't argue with the art. That, Jim Lee is it's at so his consistent, prime. and it, it makes you it, it makes it worth spending the money, even though it the makes story it readable. Keep like it the there. art's why I mean the you know the the Psylocke in a bikini makes this thing readable. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. Um, so I, again, I'm giving the art to the second story a five, uh, but the story uh, this this is I don't want to be too harsh here. This is garbage, though. I'm giving it a two. Oh wow, we're okay. I'm giving the story a two. We're having we're having. Should similar... I be nicer? Should I, should I say two point five? I don't know because I'm doing this on the fly. I didn't grade this ahead of time. My goal is I don't want to grade things till I've talked about them with you because I feel like that's when I really get to understand you know what I'm really thinking. It's one thing to take notes and have thoughts in my mind, but when I talk them out, I can get a better idea. I'll, I'll be generous to Scott Labdell. I'll give him a two point five, which gives the whole thing a seven point five, which still seems freaking high for this very bad story oh. in the second in the second half. The entire thing, if I had to recommend the graphic novel, I'm just going to give it a seven. I'm, I'm going to give that, it a seven that's overall fair. recommendation. Okay. Because the art is stellar throughout. The art is completely stellar. It's historic. The first story is very good and a great introduction to the X-Men and, Mag- and Magneto. And if you're not familiar with the X-Men, I would say that issue one to three is a pretty good introduction to the overall X-Men characters, all the characters that were big in the 90s, uh, to Magneto. Just stop at issue four. Don't, you know, don't read issue four and beyond. Just There's no point. Unless you really want to get into the entire run and you want to learn more about Dazzler and Mojo World and Maverick and Spetsuo, maybe you do. Maybe you're that kind of freak, but I'm not. So I'm not going to recommend that. But I do highly recommend I will give the official second print recommendation at least to X-Men number one through three. I, I definitely Absolutely. want to recommend reading those. Yeah. Ramzo, your thoughts? Um, you know, for I'm going to go ahead and split it up like you. It's just too unfair to 
put Claremont's first couple issues in with what we're seeing from Liddell later. But, uh, you know, five out of five for art. This is this is the Jim Lee that we're going to fall in love with for decades to come. And this is really him pushing the limits in terms of action and in terms of those still shots, in terms of making the background, making a whole world out of the page. He he does not uh, miss a beat with any of this. So five out of five up front uh, for the story. I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to probably be a bit more generous because of the nostalgia factor. If you want to understand the X-Men we see in popular culture today and the shows, uh, you know, the the many cartoons that have come out since then, not including just the 90s one, the films, this is really what I think everyone should read because this really sets the tone and the pace for all things to come. I'm going to give the story a four out of five. So they're getting the you know, first three issues are getting a total nine out of ten. It's it's just that vital that you understand it because it will go ahead and launch so many things for you. Now for the second one, the for the second part of this volume, I'm gonna go a little bit harsher than you, Mark. I'm gonna give a consistent five out of five for the artwork because at least that stayed there and it's still enough. I've bought terrible storylines because I love the artwork from many artists. I will give them that credit. So you know I'm gonna be fair, give them their five out of five for this story. It is such. Like, you know, a cameo and hodgepodge mess. I I hate everything about it. It's just people struggling to keep it alive. And if I had been reading it now or then, it would I'd be out. I'd be out. I'm going to give it a one out of five. So this one gets out a total five, six out See, of I, ten. I was being nice. I was being nice. <laughs> I felt bad. And now I feel less bad. I'll give the overall thing a seven just because of the strength of the first three issues. But I mean, I, I can't, I can't say anything really nice about the story. You're in not the buying half. it. You're not, if you're getting it in the trade back, you're not buying it because of those later issues. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to read the trade and you can get the trade easily, get the trade. If you feel like just seeing how ridiculous the last four issues are, please do read them. Uh, but if you're like just looking for issues or you're looking to build your collection, just get issues one through three. That's what I would say. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's just this is one of those things where if you're trying to build up your graphic novel library, you'd be doing yourself an injustice not owning this. Very much so. Very much so. It's, it's definitely historic, which is why I started it. And it's perfectly started with it. And it's uh, perfectly uh, historic for myself and my own comic, my own comic book story, which is what this podcast really is about. So that's it for today, Remzo. A few things I want to remind people of, of course, please at the beginning, the burgeoning of this podcast, we need you guys. We need our early listeners to be our team, our street team, to be out there sharing the show, hashtagging this thing, sharing it on Twitter. You can follow us at Second Print Pod on Twitter, at Second Print Pod on Instagram. There's a Second Print Comics uh, Facebook page you can find, Second Print Comics Fan Zone. Again, the first 50 people get in for free. After that, you got to be on Patreon. And of course, on Patreon, patreon.com slash Second Print Comics. We have a full video there breaking down all our tiers. We have amazing, amazing offers for our, our, our listeners, and we promise we're going to be putting a ton into this Patreon uh, to getting bonus content between bonus rants, uh, bonus reviews, early editions. Uh, anything we do, Patreon's getting first, including the launch of this show. Uh, if you are one of our early patrons, you got to hear this episode right now before it was even on iTunes, before it was even on Stitcher or anywhere else. So uh, we really do appreciate all the support. Please do considering checking us out on Patreon. One more thing I'm going to mention, Remzo, also in this burgeoning stage, five-star ratings and reviews are crucial. Five-star ratings and reviews are crucial. In fact, I will even say, if you give us a five-star rating and a review, 
before we hit the the 50 person limit or so, before we hit the limit, maybe even I'll make an exception if we just get past it. I'll let you on in to the Facebook group uh, without being on Patreon. That's a pretty good a very, deal. That's a very limited time offer. This is just because we're in our very burgeoning stages. Otherwise, though, Patreon gets you access to everything and so much more. So again, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Remso, you got anything else to say here? Nothing much, folks. As always, we'll be back next week covering the comics you love, the characters you cried and laughed and beat up villains with, and so much more. Wonderful. Well, until next week, I am Mark Clare. I'm Remso W. Martinez. Read comics, change the world. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.